Welcome to Bite at a Time Books, where we read you your favorite classics one bite at a time. My name is Brie Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you want to know what's coming next and vote on upcoming books, sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. You'll also find our new t-shirts in the shop, including podcast shirts and quote shirts from your favorite classic novels. Be sure to follow my show on your favorite podcast platform so you get all the new episodes. You can find most of our links in the show notes. But also our website, biteatatimebooks.com, includes all of the links for our show, including to our Patreon to support the show, and YouTube, where we have special behind-the-narration of the episodes. We're part of the Bite at a Time Books Productions Network. If you'd also like to hear what inspired your favorite classic authors to write their novels— and what was going on in the world at the time, check out the Bite at a Time books behind the story podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please note, while we try to keep the text as close to the original as possible, some words have been changed to honor the marginalized communities who've identified the words as harmful and to stay in alignment with Bite at a Time books' brand values. Today we'll be continuing Little Men by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter 10. Home Again July had come, and hang begun. The little gardens were doing finely, and the long summer days were full of pleasant hours. The house stood open from morning till night, and the lads lived out of doors except at school time. The lessons were short, and there were many holidays for the bears believed in cultivating healthy bodies by much exercise. And our short summers are best used in out-of-door work— Such a rosy, sunburnt, hearty set as the boys became, such appetites as they had, such sturdy arms and legs as outgrew jackets and trousers, such laughing and racing all over the place, such antics in house and barn, such adventures in the tramps over hill and dale, and such satisfaction in the hearts of the worthy bears as they saw their flock prospering in mind and body. I cannot begin to describe... Only one thing was needed to make them quite happy, and it came when they least expected it. One balmy night, when the little lads were in bed, the elder ones bathing down at the brook, and Mrs. Bear undressing Teddy in her parlor, he suddenly cried out, "'Oh, my Danny!' and pointed to the window where the moon shone brightly. "'No, lovey, he's not there. It was the pretty moon,' said his mother. "'No, no, Danny at window, Teddy saw him!' persisted Baby, much excited. It might have been. And Mrs. Bear hurried to the window, hoping it would prove true. But the face was gone, and nowhere appeared any signs of a mortal boy. She called his name, ran to the front door with Teddy in his little shirt, and made him call too, thinking the baby voice might have more effect than her own. No one answered. Nothing appeared, and they went back much disappointed, Teddy would not be satisfied with the moon, and after he was in his crib, kept popping up his head to ask if Danny was not tummin' soon. By and by, he fell asleep. The lads trooped up to bed. The house grew still, and nothing but the chirp of the crickets broke the soft silence of the summer night. Mrs. Bear sat sewing, for the big basket was always piled with socks full of portentous holes, and thinking of the lost boy... She had decided that Baby had been mistaken, and did not even disturb Mr. Bear by telling him of the child's fancy. 
for the poor man got little time to himself till the boys were abed, and he was busy writing letters. It was past ten when she rose to shut up the house. As she paused a minute to enjoy the lovely scene from the steps, something white caught her eye on one of the haycocks scattered over the lawn. The children had been playing there all the afternoon, and fancying that Nan had left her hat as usual, Mrs. Bear went out to get it. But as she approached, she saw that it was neither hat nor handkerchief, but a shirt sleeve with a brown hand sticking out of it. She hurried round to the haycock, and there lay Dan fast asleep. Ragged, dirty, thin, and worn out he looked. One foot was bare, the other tied up in the old gingham jacket which he had taken from his own back to use as a clumsy bandage for some hurt. He seemed to have hidden himself behind the haycock, but in his sleep had thrown out the arm that had betrayed him. He sighed and muttered as if his dreams disturbed him, and once when he moved, he groaned as if in pain, but still slept on quite spent with weariness. He must not lie here, said Mrs. Bear, and stooping over him, she gently called his name. He opened his eyes and looked at her as if she was a part of his dream, for he smiled and said drowsily, Mother Bear, I've come home. The look, the words touched her very much, and she put her hand under his head to lift him up, saying in her cordial way, I thought you would, and I'm so glad to see you, Dan. He seemed to wake thoroughly then, and started up, looking about him as if he suddenly remembered where he was, and doubted even that kind welcome. His face changed, and he said in his old rough way, I was going off in the morning. I only stopped to peek in as I went by. But why not come in, Dan? Didn't you hear us call you? Teddy saw and cried for you. Didn't suppose you'd let me in, he said, fumbling with a little bundle which he had taken up as if going immediately. Try and see, was all Mrs. Bear answered, holding out her hand and pointing to the door where the light shone hospitably. With a long breath, as if a load was off his mind, Dan took up a stout stick and began to limp towards the house, but stopped suddenly to say inquiringly, Mr. Bear won't like it. I ran away from Paige. He knows it and was sorry, but it will make no difference. Are you lame? asked Mrs. Joe as he limped on again. Getting over a wall of stone fell on my foot and smashed it. I don't mind and he did his best to hide the pain each step cost him. Mrs. Bear helped him into her own room, and once there, he dropped into a chair and laid his head back white and faint with weariness and suffering. My poor Dan, drink this and then eat a little. You are home now, and Mother Bear will take good care of you. He only looked up at her with eyes full of gratitude as he drank the wine she held to his lips and then began slowly to eat the food she brought him. Each mouthful seemed to put heart into him, and presently he began to talk as if anxious to have her know all about him. "'Where have you been, Dan?' she asked, beginning to get out some bandages. "'I ran off more than a month ago. Paige was good enough, but too strict. I didn't like it. So I cut away down the river with a man who was going in his boat. That's why they couldn't tell where I'd gone. When I left the man, I worked for a couple of weeks with a farmer.' But I thrashed his boy, and then the old man thrashed me, and I ran off again and walked here. All the way? Yes, the man didn't pay me, and I wouldn't ask for it. Took it out in beating the boy. And Dan laughed. 
yet looked ashamed as he glanced at his ragged clothes and dirty hands. How did you live? It was a long, long tramp for a boy like you. Oh, I got on well enough till I hurt my foot. Folks gave me things to eat, and I slept in barns and tramped by day. I got lost trying to make a shortcut, or I'd have been here sooner. But if you did not mean to come in and stay with us, what were you going to do? I thought I'd like to see Teddy again, and you, and then I was going back to my old work in the city. Only I was so tired I went to sleep on the hay. I'd have been gone in the morning if you hadn't found me. Are you sorry I did? Mrs. Joe looked at him with a half-merry, half-reproachful look as she knelt down to look at his wounded foot. The color came up into Dan's face, and he kept his eyes fixed on his plate as he said very low, No, ma'am. I'm glad. I wanted to stay, but I was afraid you... He did not finish, for Mrs. Bear interrupted him by an exclamation of pity as she saw his foot, for it was seriously hurt. When did you do it? Three days ago. And you've walked on it in this state? I had a stick, and I washed it at every brook I came to, and one woman gave me a rag to put on it. Mr. Bear must see and dress it at once. And Mrs. Joe hastened into the next room, leaving the door ajar behind her so that Dan heard all that passed. Fritz, the boy has come back. Who, Dan? Yes, Teddy saw him at the window, and he called to him, but he went away and hid behind the haycocks on the lawn. I found him there just now, fast asleep and half dead with weariness and pain. He ran away from Paige a month ago and has been making his way to us ever since. He pretends that he did not mean to let us see him, but go on to the city and his old work after a look at us. It is evident, however, that the hope of being taken in has led him here through everything, and there he is waiting to know if you'll forgive and take him back. Did he say so? His eyes did. And when I waked him, he said like a lost child, Mother Bear, I've come home. I hadn't the heart to scold him and just took him in like a poor little black sheep come back to the fold. I may keep him, Fritz. Of course you may. This proves to me that we have a hold on the boy's heart, and I would no more send him away now than I would my own Rob. Dan heard a soft little sound, as if Mrs. Joe thanked her husband without words, and in the instant silence that followed, two great tears that had slowly gathered in the boy's eyes brimmed over and rolled down his dusty cheeks. No one saw them, for he brushed them hastily away. But in that little pause, I think Dan's old distrust for these good people vanished forever. A soft spot in his heart was touched, and he felt an impetuous desire to prove himself worthy of the love and pity that was so patient and forgiving. He said nothing. He only wished the wish with all his might, resolved to try in his blind boyish way, and sealed his resolution with the tears which neither pain, fatigue, nor loneliness could wring from him. Come and see his foot. I'm afraid it is badly hurt, for he has kept on three days through heat and dust, with nothing but water and an old jacket to bind it up with. I tell you, Fritz, that boy is a brave lad and will make a fine man yet. I hope so for your sake, enthusiastic woman. Your faith deserves success. Now I will go and see your little Spartan. Where is he? In my room. But dear, you'll be very kind to him no matter how gruff he seems. I am sure that is the way to conquer him. He won't bear sternness nor much restraint, but a soft word and infinite patience will lead him as it used to lead me. As if you ever like this little rascal, cried Mr. Bear, laughing yet half angry at the idea. 
I was in spirit, though I showed it in a different way. I seem to know by instinct how he feels, to understand what will win and touch him and to sympathize with his temptations and faults. I'm glad I do, for it will help me to help him. And if I can make a good man of this wild boy, it will be the best work of my life. God bless the work and help the worker. Mr. Bear spoke now as earnestly as she had done, and both came in together to find Dan's head down upon his arm, as if he was quite overcome by sleep. But he looked up quickly and tried to rise as Mr. Bear said pleasantly, "'So you like Plumfield better than Page's farm. Well, let us see if we can get on more comfortably this time than we did before.' "'Thank you, sir,' said Dan, trying not to be gruff and finding it easier than he expected. "'Now the foot.' Uh, this is not so well. We must have Dr. Firth tomorrow. Warm water, Joe, and old linen. Mr. Bear bathed and bound up the wounded foot, while Mrs. Joe prepared the only empty bed in the house. It was in the little guest chamber leading from the parlor, and often used when the lads were poorly, for it saved Mrs. Joe from running up and down, and the invalids could see what was going on. When it was ready, Mr. Bear took the boy in his arms, and carried him in, helped him undress, laid him on the little white bed, and left him with another handshake and fatherly, Good night, my son. Dan dropped asleep at once, and slept heavily for several hours. Then his foot began to throb and ache, and he awoke to toss about uneasily, trying not to groan lest anyone should hear him. For he was a brave lad, and did bear pain like a little Spartan, as Mr. Bear called him. Mrs. Joe had a way of flitting about the house at night, to shut the windows if the wind grew chilly, to draw mosquito curtains over Teddy, or look after Tommy, who occasionally walked in his sleep. The least noise waked her, and as she often heard imaginary robbers, cats, and conflagrations, the doors stood open all about, so her quick ear caught the sound of Dan's little moans, and she was up in a minute. He was just giving his hot pillow a despairing thump when a light came glimmering through the hall, and Mrs. Joe crept in, looking like a droll ghost, with her hair in a great knob on the top of her head, and a long gray dressing gown trailing behind her. Are you in pain, Dan? It's pretty bad, but I didn't mean to wake you. I'm a sort of owl, always flying about at night. Yes, your foot is like fire. The bandages must be wet again. And away flapped the maternal owl for more cooling stuff, and a great mug of ice water. Oh, that's so nice, sighed Dan. The wet bandages went on again, and a long draft of water cooled his thirsty throat. There now, sleep your best and don't be frightened if you see me again, for I'll slip down by and by and give you another sprinkle. As she spoke, Mrs. Joe stooped to turn the pillows and smooth the bedclothes, when to her great surprise, Dan put his arm around her neck drew her face down to his, and kissed her with a broken, "'Thank you, ma'am,' which said more than the most eloquent speech could have done, for the hasty kiss, the muttered words meant, "'I'm sorry, I will try.' She understood it, accepted the unspoken confession, and did not spoil it by any token of surprise. She only remembered that he had no mother, kissed the brown cheek half-hidden on the pillow, as if ashamed at the little touch of tenderness, and left him saying what he long remembered. You are my boy now, and if you choose, you can make me proud and glad to say so. Once again, just at dawn, she stole down to find him so fast asleep that he did not wake, 
and showed no sign of consciousness as she wet his foot, except that the lines of pain smoothed themselves away and left his face quite peaceful. The day was Sunday, and the house so still that he never waked till near noon, and looking round him saw an eager little face peering in at the door. He held out his arms, and Teddy tore across the room to cast himself bodily upon the bed, shouting, "'My Danny's tum!' As he hugged and wriggled with delight, Mrs. Bear appeared next, bringing breakfast and never seeming to see how shamefaced Dan looked at the memory of the little scene last night. Teddy insisted on giving him betfis and fed him like a baby, which, as he was not very hungry, Dan enjoyed very much. Then came the doctor, and the poor Spartan had a bad time of it, for some of the little bones in his foot were injured and putting them to rights was such a painful job that Dan's lips were white, and great drops stood on his forehead, though he never cried out, and only held Mrs. Joe's hand so tight that it was red long afterwards. "'You must keep this boy quiet for a week at least, and not help him put his foot to the ground. By that time I shall know whether he may hop a little with a crutch or stick to his bed for a while longer,' said Dr. Firth, putting up the shining instruments that Dan did not like to see." It will get well sometime, won't it? he asked, looking alarmed at the word crutches. I hope so. And with that, the doctor departed, leaving Dan much depressed, for the loss of a foot is a dreadful calamity to an active boy. Don't be troubled, I'm a famous nurse, and we will have you tramping about as well as ever in a month, said Mrs. Joe, taking a hopeful view of the case. But the fear of being lame haunted Dan, and even Teddy's caresses did not cheer him. So Mrs. Joe proposed that one or two of the boys should come in and pay him a little visit, and asked whom he would like to see. Nat and Demi. I'd like my hat, too. There's something in it I guess they'd like to see. I suppose you threw away my bundle of plunder? Said Dan, looking rather anxious as he put the question. No, I kept it. For I thought they must be treasures of some kind. You took such care of them and Mrs. Joe brought him his old straw hat stuck full of butterflies and beetles, and a handkerchief containing a collection of odd things picked up on his way. Bird's eggs, carefully done up in moss, curious shells and stones, bits of fungus, and several little crabs in a state of great indignation at their imprisonment. Could I have something to put these fellers in? Mr. Hyde and I found them in their first-rate ones, so I'd like to keep and watch them. Can I? asked Dan, forgetting his foot and laughing to see the crabs go sidling and backing over the bed. Of course you can. Polly's old cage will be just the thing. Don't let them nip Teddy's toes while I get it. And away went Mrs. Joe, leaving Dan and overjoyed to find that his treasures were not considered rubbish and thrown away. Nat, Demi, and the cage arrived together, and the crabs were settled in their new house to the great delight of the boys who in the excitement of the performance forgot any awkwardness they might otherwise have felt in greeting the runaway. To these admiring listeners, Dan related his adventures much more fully than he had done to the bears. Then he displayed his plunder and described each article so well that Mrs. Joe, who had retired to the next room to leave them free, was surprised and interested as well as amused at their boyish chatter. How much the lad knows of these things, how absorbed he is in them, and what a mercy it is just now, for he cares so little for books. It would be hard to amuse him while he's laid up, 
but the boys can supply him with beetles and stones to any extent, and I'm glad to find out this taste of his. It is a good one and may perhaps prove the making of him. If he should turn out a great naturalist, and not a musician, I should have cause to be proud of this year's work. And Mrs. Joe sat smiling over her book as she built castles in the air, just as she used to do when a girl. Only then they were for herself, and now they were for other people. Which is the reason, perhaps, that some of them came to pass in reality, for charity is an excellent foundation to build anything upon. Nat was most interested in the adventures, but Demi enjoyed the beetles and butterflies immensely, drinking in the history of their changeful little lives as if it were a new and lovely sort of fairy tale. For even in his plain way, Dan told it well, and found great satisfaction in the thought that here at least the small philosopher could learn of him. So interested were they in the account of catching a muskrat, whose skin was among the treasures, that Mr. Bear had to come to himself to tell Nat and Demi it was time for the walk. Dan looked so wistfully after them as they ran off, that Father Bear proposed carrying him to the sofa in the parlor for a little change of air and scene. When he was established and the house quiet, Mrs. Joe, who sat nearby showing Teddy pictures, said in an interested tone as she nodded towards the treasures still in Dan's hands, where did you learn so much about these things? I always liked them, but didn't know much till Mr. Hyde told me. Oh, he was a man who lived round in the woods studying these things. I don't know what you call him and wrote about frogs and fishes and so on. He stayed at pages and used to want me to go and help him, and it was great fun because he told me ever so much and was uncommon jolly and wise. Hope I'll see him again sometime. I hope you will said Mrs. Joe, for Dan's face had brightened up, and he was so interested in the matter that he forgot his usual taciturnity. Why, he could make birds come to him, and rabbits and squirrels didn't mind him any more than if he was a tree. Did you ever tickle a lizard with a straw? asked Dan eagerly. No, but I should like to try it. Well, I've done it, and it's so funny to see him turn over and stretch out they like it so much. Mr. Hyde used to do it and he'd make snakes listen to him while he whistled, and he knew just when certain flowers would blow and bees wouldn't sting him, and he'd tell the wonderfulest things about fish and flies and the Indians and the rocks. I think you were so fond of going with Mr. Hyde, you rather neglected Mr. Page, said Mrs. Joe slyly. Yes, I did. I hated to have to weed and hoe when I might be tramping round with Mr. Hyde, Page thought such things silly and called Mr. Hyde crazy because he'd lay hours watching a trout or a bird. Suppose you say lie instead of lay. It is better grammar, said Mrs. Joe very gently, and then added, Yes, Page is a thorough farmer, and would not understand that a naturalist's work was just as interesting, and perhaps just as important as his own. Now, Dan, if you really love these things as I think you do, and I'm glad to see it, you shall have time to study them and books to help you. But I want you to do something besides, and to do it faithfully, else you'll be sorry by and by, and find that you've got to begin again. Yes, ma'am, said Dan meekly, and looked a little scared by the serious tone of the last remarks, for he hated books, yet had evidently made up his mind to study anything she proposed. Do you see that cabinet with twelve drawers in it? was the next very unexpected question. Dan did see two tall, old-fashioned ones standing on either side of the piano. 
He knew them well and had often seen nice bits of string, nails, brown paper, and such useful matters come out of the various drawers. He nodded and smiled. Mrs. Joe went on. Well, don't you think those drawers would be good places to put your eggs and stones and shells and lichens? Oh, splendid, but you wouldn't like my things cluttering round, as Mr. Page used to say. Would you? cried Dan, sitting up to survey the old piece of furniture with sparkling eyes. I like the litter of that sort. And if I didn't, I should give you the drawers because I have a regard for children's little treasures, and I think they should be treated respectfully. Now I'm going to make a bargain with you, Dan, and I hope you'll keep it honorably. Here are twelve good-sized drawers, one for each month of the year, and they shall be yours as fast as you earn them, by doing the little duties that belong to you. I believe in rewards of a certain kind, especially for young folks. They help us along, and though we may begin by being good for the sake of the reward, if it is rightly used, we shall soon learn to love goodness for itself. Do you have them? asked Dan, looking as if this was new talk for him. Yes, indeed. I haven't learned to get on without them yet. My rewards are not drawers or presents or holidays, but they are things which I like as much as you do the others. The good behavior and success of my boys is one of the rewards I love best, and I work for it as I want you to work for your cabinet. Do what you dislike and do it well, and you get two rewards. One, the prize you see and hold. The other, the satisfaction of a duty cheerfully performed. Do you understand that? Yes, ma'am. We all need these little helps, so you shall try to do your lessons and your work. Play kindly with all the boys and use your holidays well. And if you bring me a good report, or if I see and know it without words, for I'm quick to spy out the good little efforts of my boys, you shall have a compartment in the drawer for your treasures. See, some are already divided into four parts, and I will have the others made in the same way. A place for each week. And when the drawer is filled with curious and pretty things, I shall be as proud of it as you are. Prouder, I think, for in the pebbles, mosses, and gay butterflies. I shall see good resolutions carried out, conquered faults, and a promise well kept. Shall we do this, Dan? The boys answered with one of the looks which said much, for it showed that he felt and understood her wish and words. Although he did not know how to express his interest and gratitude for such care and kindness, she understood the look and seeing by the color that flushed up to his forehead that he was touched, as she wished him to be. She said no more about that side of the new plan, but pulled out the upper drawer, dusted it and set it on two chairs before the sofa, saying briskly, "'Now let us begin at once by putting those nice beetles in a safe place. These compartments will hold a good deal, you see. I'd pin the butterflies and bugs round the sides. They'll be quite safe there.' and leave room for the heavy things below. I'll give you some cotton wool and clean paper and pins, and you can get ready for the week's work. But I can't go out to find any new things, said Dan, looking piteously at his foot. That's true. Never mind, we'll let these treasures do for this week, and I dare say the boys will bring you loads of things if you ask them. They don't know the right sort. Besides, if I lay, no, lie here all the time, I can't work and study and earn my drawers. There are plenty of lessons you can learn lying there, and several little jobs of work you can do for me. Can I? And Dan looked both surprised and pleased. 
You can learn to be patient and cheerful in spite of pain and no play. You can amuse Teddy for me, whined Cotton, read to me when I sew, and do many things without hurting your foot, which will make the days pass quickly and not be wasted ones. Here, Demi ran in with a great butterfly in one hand, and a very ugly little toad in the other. See, Dan? I found them and ran back to give them to you. Aren't they beautiful ones? panted Demi, all out of breath. Dan laughed at the toad and said he had no place to put him. But the butterfly was a beauty, and if Mrs. Joe would give him a big pin, he would stick it right up in the drawer. I don't like to see the poor thing struggle on a pin. If it must be killed, let us put it out of pain at once with a drop of camphor, said Mrs. Joe, getting out the bottle. I know how to do it. Mr. Hyde always killed him that way, but I didn't have any camphor, so I used a pin and Dan gently poured a drop on the insect's head. When the pale green wings fluttered an instant and then grew still, this dainty little execution was hardly over when Teddy shouted from the bedroom, Oh, the little twabs are out, and the big one's eating them all up. Demi and its aunt ran to the rescue and found Teddy dancing excitedly in a chair while two little crabs were scuttling about the floor, having got through the wires of the cage. A third was clinging to the top of the cage, evidently in terror of his life, for below appeared a sad yet funny sight. The big crab had wedged himself into the little recess where Polly's cup used to stand, and there he sat eating one of his relations in the coolest way. All the claws of the poor victim were pulled off, and he was turned upside down, his upper shell held in one claw close under the mouth of the big crab like a dish." Polly leisurely ate out of it, with the other claw pausing now and then to turn his queer bulging eyes from side to side, and to put out a slender tongue and lick them in a way that made the children scream with laughter. Mrs. Joe carried the cage in for Dan to see the sight, while Demi caught and confined the wanderers under an inverted washbowl. I'll have to let these fellers go, for I can't keep them in the house, said Dan with evident regret. I'll take care of them for you if you'll tell me how and they can live in my turtle tank just as well as not, said Demi, who found them more interesting even than his beloved slow turtles. So Dan gave him directions about the wants and habits of the crabs, and Demi bore them away to introduce them to their new home and neighbors. What a good boy he is, said Dan, carefully settling the first butterfly, and remembering that Demi had given up his walk to bring it to him. He ought to be for a great deal has been done to make him so. He's had folks to tell him things and to help him. I haven't, said Dan, with a sigh, thinking of its neglected childhood, a thing he seldom did, and feeling as if he had not had fair play somehow. I know it, dear, and for that reason I don't expect as much from you as from Demi. Though he is younger, you shall have all the help that we can give you now, and I hope to teach you how to help yourself in the best way. Have you forgotten what Father Bear told you when you were here before, about wanting to be good and asking God to help you? No, ma'am. Very low. Do you try that way still? No, ma'am. Lower still. Will you do it every night to please me? Yes, ma'am. Very soberly. I shall depend on it, and I think I shall know if you are faithful to your promise, for these things always show to people who believe in them though not a word is said. Now here is a pleasant story about a boy who hurt his foot worse than you did yours. 
read it and see how bravely he bore his troubles. She put that charming little book, the Crofton boys, into his hands and left him for an hour passing in and out from time to time that he might not feel lonely. Dan did not love to read, but soon got so interested that he was surprised when the boys came home. Daisy brought him a nosegay of wild flowers, and Nan insisted on helping bring him his supper, as he lay on the sofa with the door open into the dining room, so that he could see the lads at table and they could nod socially to him over their bread and butter. Mr. Bear carried him away to his bed early, and Teddy came in his nightgown to say goodnight, for he went to his little nest with the birds. I want to say my prayers to Danny. May I? He asked. And when his mother said yes, the little fellow knelt down by Dan's bed, and folding his chubby hand said softly, Peace, Dodd, bless everyone, and help me to be dood. And he went away, smiling with sleepy sweetness over his mother's shoulder. But after the evening talk was done, the evening song sung, and the house grew still with beautiful Sunday silence. Dan lay in his pleasant room, wide awake, thinking new thoughts, feeling new hopes and desires stirring in his boyish heart, for two good angels had entered in. Love and gratitude began the work which time and effort were to finish, and with an earnest wish to keep his first promise, Dan folded his hands together in the darkness and softly whispered Teddy's little prayer, "'Please, God, bless everyone and help me to be good.'" Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books today, while we read a bite of one of your favorite classics. Again, my name is Brie Carlisle, and I hope you come back tomorrow for the next Bite of Little Men. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com and check out the shop. You can check out the show notes or our website, biteatatimebooks.com, for the rest of the links for our show. We'd love to hear from you on social media as well.